Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. In the year 1960, there was an 18-year-old university student in Britain named Bill Leach who used to spend time at a ski resort pub. Sounds like a good place to spend a lot of time. While he was there one day, he lost his wallet. So unfortunately, he had to go through the headache of getting all of his personal documents replaced and had to take the loss when it came to his cash on hand. Fast forward 55 years to 2015, that old bar in the pub was uprooted and moved, and the carpenter who was working on the project found the wallet wedged in a hole in the side of the bar. So the carpenter took it home, and him and his neighbor worked together to track down the 73-year-old leech who returned to the pub to retrieve what was lost. Quite a dramatic story, but it highlights the significance of the thrill of finding something that is lost. I know in our house, and I'm not blaming anyone in particular, though it does seem like one of the risks of having two young boys, things often do go missing. And there's something wonderful about finding that which cannot be found, even if you have to turn your whole house upside down to find it. Indeed, when we lose something, we might feel sad about the thing that's lost, perhaps not because the thing itself was all that important in and of itself, but because things can be connected to memories, to people, to self-evaluations, or other important judgments that we might make. So to recover the thing, then, is to recover more than just the thing. It's to recover all the important intangibles that we have connected to that thing. And this helps us, I think, understand the parables that we heard today, the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Now, at the outset of the reading, there's an interesting juxtaposition between this week and last week's parable of the great banquet. If you remember, the parable of the great banquet that Jesus told last week was given at a dinner party thrown by a Pharisee, whereas today's parables are told in the presence of tax collectors and sinners. This means that last week's reading functioned as a warning to the self-righteous Pharisees who weren't willing to accept God's invitation that was offered through the Messiah, while this week's reading acts as a promise to those sinners and those who are marginalized, who in the parable last week were invited to attend the banquet after the original invitations had been revoked. Now, the gospel, according to St. Luke, has been called by some the gospel of mercy, because it teaches us that no one is excluded from forgiveness and that even the worst of sinners can become beloved children of God through repentance and conversion. This particular passage from chapter 15 is a trilogy commonly called mercy parables. We read the first two in the trilogy this morning, and we'll read the third, which is the story of the prodigal son, for the ninth Sunday after Trinity. But the, tri- the trilogy works by limiting the numbers, working from greater to lesser. We begin with a story of one out of 100 sheep that's gone missing. And then we read of one out of 10 coins that has disappeared. And then finally, we read of one brother out of two who was reconciled back to his father. In the first parable, we read about a sheep that's gone missing. What man of you, Jesus asks, 
does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. The second parable features a woman who has 10 silver coins. Now, most likely, these coins would not just have been her life savings, but may have been her dowry, giving them not only an economic significance, but also a personal one. So she turns her house upside down. She sweeps the whole house and seeks diligently until she finds that missing coin. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I have lost. These mercy parables really cannot be separated from each other in our interpretation, as they're saying the same thing using different pictures. The lost sheep sought out by the shepherd and the coin sought out by the woman are both about God's pursuit of us and the rejoicing that occurs in heaven and that should happen in his church when people heed the call of the gospel through baptism and repentance. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, the prophet speaks for God to the people, saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Jesus later quotes these words to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, when the Pharisees confront the disciples because Jesus spent time with sinners. Go and learn what this means, he rebukes them. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now these verses, if you read them closely, do not mean that the Israelites should have stopped offering sacrifices. Rather, what Hosea and Jesus both mean is that those sacrifices were ineffectual unless they were accompanied by inward change that affected how they treated others. We see this in the way that the prophet Amos lamblasted the people of Israel for exploiting the poor, even while offering sacrifices to God. While in Christ church, we don't offer bloody animal sacrifices anymore, thank goodness, like they did in the Old Testament. The priest does offer a sacrifice in the Mass, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, crucified not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And we come to this sacrifice week after week after week, Because we're aware of its power to impart the grace that we require to grow in holiness. But we have to merge ourselves with that sacrifice. In receiving the lamb who was slain, we have to lay down our lives for others, just as our Lord laid down his life for us. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall attain mercy. So how do we inculcate that mercy for others? Well, we read these parables to be about ourselves first. We were that that lost sheep, born up by our good shepherd. We were that lost coin that was diligently sought out. God pursues us with what author Brennan Manning calls a furious longing. And Brennan Manning knew firsthand about this furious longing. He was a Roman Catholic priest who battled alcoholism all his life to the point that he was eventually laicized. And if we really take stock of ourselves, when we really realize what God has done for a sinner such as me, then we can realize, along with Manning, that, quote, the outstretched arms of Jesus exclude no one, 
neither the drunk in the doorway, the panhandler on the street, the most selfish and ungrateful in their cocoons, the most unjust employers, and the most overweening of snobs. The love of Christ embraces all without exception. But love is not easy. It comes with a cost. Just as Jesus' love for others caused his execution, so the world will look on at real mercy and love with befuddlement at best and outright hostility at worst. We see this in the reading. Jesus tells these stories to the audience of tax collectors and sinners while the Pharisees stand by and scoff. This man receives sinners and eats with them. But the gospel is a stumbling block. As St. Paul states in 1 Corinthians 1, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So we live out that message, that message of Christ crucified, when we authentically open ourselves to the other, no matter who the other is. Grace is free, but it was won at a price, and our lives should reflect how seriously we take that price that he paid for us. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And so I'll let Brennan Manning close us today with his beautiful words. Jesus came not only for those who skip morning meditations, but also for real sinners, thieves, adulterers, terrorists, for those caught up in squalid choices and failed dreams. Those of us scarred by sin are called to closeness with him around the banquet table. The kingdom of God is not a subdivision for the self-righteous or for those who lay claim to private visions of doubtful authenticity and boast they possess the state secret of their salvation. The confession of John the Apostle, that God is love, is the fundamental meaning of the holy and adorable Trinity. Put bluntly, God is sheer being in love, and there was never a time when God was not love. The foundation of the furious longing of God is the Father, who is the originator of that love. The Son, who is the full self-expression of that love. And the Spirit, who is the original and inexhaustible activity of that love, drawing the created universe into itself. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.